It's a real joy to be with you this morning. Uh, let me welcome you to downtown Presbyterian Church. Really glad that you're here with us. Uh, my name is Jonathan Davis. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, let me again welcome you um, if you're here visiting uh, for the first time. Maybe you're here exploring uh, the claims of the Bible for the first time, or maybe you're, you're, you're back at church visiting after, after some time. Uh, please know that you're so welcome here. We're really glad that you're here, and I would love to meet you afterwards. Uh, I am new to this church, and I wanted to just publicly say uh, thank you uh, to you as a church for, for your kindness to my family and I during this period of transition here. Um, we have felt so loved and cared for. Um, I, I think we've made about four meals ourselves in the past, uh, past month and a half. So thank you for the many meals uh, you've provided for us. We're so grateful. This morning, we're going to continue our series uh, in the book of Numbers, uh, which can be found near the beginning of your Bible. In the Old Testament, just four books in. If you don't have a Bible, that text is printed for you in the bulletin. And we said each week that the original title of Numbers was not Numbers, but it was in the wilderness, uh, which captured the context in which it was written while Israel, the Old Testament people of God, were in the wilderness. So this takes place after the Exodus, right? After God rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Uh, After the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. But it happens before they had gone into the Promised Land. So they're in this in-between time when this is written. They're in the wilderness, In our text this morning, it may be familiar to you if you've been around the church at all. It's commonly used as a benediction or a final blessing at the end of a worship service. And as I read this, I want you to ask yourself and think to yourself, why would Israel need to remember this in the midst of their journey in the wilderness? And why do we need to remember this today? Let's give our attention to God's word. Number 6, 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask him to be with us. Father, we do now ask you to be present with us. Help us to know you more during this time. Help us to understand your word, to understand your heart more. Help us to know more of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you alone know what's on our minds as we walk into this room this morning. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would meet us in that. You would change us and you would bless the preaching of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, uh, my wife Erin and I had the opportunity to take this amazing uh, week-long vacation at a cabin with two other close couple friends. Uh, One of the families owned this amazing cabin in Crested Butte, Colorado, Um, and it backed up to some of the best uh, fly fishing in not just the state of Colorado, but in the entire country. And we were so excited. We had this grand vision for what this week was going to be like, how great the trip would be. All the children were staying with grandparents. So it was going to be this amazing time to connect as couples in the mountains with no kids. So we began this long journey out to Colorado, crossed the state line from Kansas 
uh, into Colorado, eventually drive up into the mountains, passing through all these charming little mountain towns, the sun setting. It's just unbelievable. Then the sun sets and it gets dark. The mountain towns disappear and the road takes us basically straight up the side of a mountain. And the road becomes this pass called Cottonwood Pass. Now, I had driven in the mountains before, and driving through a pass, it's just kind of part of the deal. You have to do it. Uh, But this pass was unlike any other. It just kept going up. It was dark, and it starts raining. It keeps going up. Now, this is early August. It's raining, but then the rain soon turns to snow. The road narrows to a single lane, gravel road, with these hairpin switchback turns uh, on which, on the turn, you could look off the side of the mountain and it was just snowing to this dark abyss. You have no idea how far the cliff goes down below. At this point, I began to forget about this dreamy week of vacation. Uh, and, and I could only think about this increasing danger that was right in front of me. I started to grip the steering wheel a little tighter, sit up a little straighter, started thinking through our life insurance policy. The snow gets heavier, and and we just keep going up. We're well above the tree line. Like, we're so high up that trees don't grow up there. That's too high. Soon it was snowing so heavily that we could barely see. We would inch around these turns, terrified of how narrow the road had become. And then I began to think about my friend who had planned this whole vacation. He said this was going to be relaxing, renewing. He had promised so much good to us. And these thoughts about how great it was going to be quickly were forgotten and were replaced by fears of the danger that was right in front of me. And I began to think things like, surely he could have warned me about how dangerous and hard this journey was going to be. Surely there could have been a better plan for this week. You know what? We shouldn't even be going on this vacation this week. We should be doing something else for vacation. My phone's going in and out of service at this point, but I managed to get a call through to my friend. The call's breaking up. I tell him, hey, we're on some road called Cottonwood Pass. It's snowing pretty hard. And immediately he interrupts me and says, you're on Cottonwood Pass? That is one of the most dangerous roads around here. And then the call drops. (laughs) Our anxiety is through the roof. Aaron and I start praying out loud for our own safety. Finally, we crest the top of the mountain. The road treacherously winds down the other side. 20 minutes later, we arrive at the cabin, totally exhausted, but safe. By the way, when I walk in, my friend says, hey, you know there's this four-lane road that makes you avoid the whole pass altogether. It's really easy to drive on. Thanks. Thanks for that. In the midst of going over this desolate, dangerous pass, we ended up forgetting where we were going. We totally forgot about this great week ahead, about this great cabin, about this great fly fishing that was waiting for us. We were so consumed with what was right in front of us, we began to question and doubt the trustworthiness of our friend who had planned this whole thing for us. As Israel is in the wilderness, their biggest temptation is to be so distracted by the immediacy of the hardship that is right in front of them that they forget the big picture of who God is, of what he's done in the past, what he's going to do in the future. They forget things like the Exodus, God's rescue of them from Egyptian slavery. They forget how time and time again God has actually done what he said he was going to do. They forget that they're headed to the promised land. And they would begin to question and doubt God's trustworthiness. All right, in, in the midst of their forgetting, 
What is it that Israel needed to be reminded of? As they navigate this hardship, this suffering, the difficulty of life in the wilderness, what do they need to be reminded of? Let me ask it this way. For us, when when we're suffering, when we're experiencing hardship, when, when life is difficult, which it most of the time is, what is it that we need to remember? This is where this blessing, this passage meets us this morning in the, in the wilderness of life when we're tempted to forget. So as we talk about this blessing in the wilderness, I want to look at this three ways. I want to look at the meaning of the blessing. I want to look at the need for blessing. Then I want to look at the one who blesses in the wilderness. So what is the meaning of the blessing in this wilderness? This is a really popular passage of scripture. Um, it's been recited in worship services arguably more than any other text in the Bible. There are actually artifacts that were discovered from the 7th century B.C. that have this priestly blessing engraved on it. Um, Priests would recite this blessing multiple times a day in the temple. Even in modern-day Jewish worship services and Christian worship services, it's used frequently as a benediction. All right, why is it so popular through all these generations? What does this say to us? What does it mean? Let me summarize it in two ways. It gives us two reminders. The first thing this blessing does is it reminds us that God is for us. It reminds us that God is for us. Remember last week we looked at the Nazarite vow and the blessing that came from this devotion to the Lord? Remember how we said it was all voluntary, right? But it was for the special few that could actually fulfill their vows that would receive this Nazarite blessing? Well, it's significant that this blessing from Aaron comes after that passage. Because what this is saying is that God is for all of his people. He's reiterating here that God blesses all of his children. Look at verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. This is a declaration, a promise that God is for his people, that his hand of blessing, his hand of favor is upon them, that he's committed to protecting them, that he's committed to caring for them, that he's going to give them all that they need. All right, this idea of blessing uh, can be a pretty churchy term. What does it mean to be blessed? There are certainly practical things in view here, like good harvests, um, children to continue the family name, uh, peace from enemies, that sort of thing. But there's something greater in view here, this idea of blessing. And it's God's presence among them. God's presence among them. This is a significant theme throughout the book of Numbers And this is one of the primary ideas that this benediction communicates. That the greatest blessing we have is in knowing the Lord. One commentator says that the blessing lies in a face-to-face relationship with the Lord. Our greatest blessing is knowing the Lord. I wonder how that hits you. I wonder how that resonates with you, that, it, that, that blessing is not primarily in the things that God gives us, but in knowing God himself. And this is true of any other relationship. Think about your best friendships, right? It's, what makes them so good is the fact that you just really enjoy being with that other person. It's not the great golf course they can get you onto or the great lake house that they have. Those are all just these extra benefits, right? It's just being with the person that you enjoy. So it is with the Lord. And in this passage, God is reminding his people, he's saying, I'm with you, and I'm for you. And this is where the heart of this blessing lies. And he keeps going. 
He says he's also going to keep Israel. He's going to keep his people. This reminder that not only am I with you, but I'm not going anywhere and I'm not going to let you go anywhere. He's saying that I've got you. I'm going to protect you. Kids, maybe you can relate to this. Um, Occasionally, my daughters will wake up in the middle of the night upset from having a scary dream. And I don't know about you, but the, the first thing they do is head to their parents' room. Go straight to their parents' room. They always come to my side of the bed. And I'll ask them, uh, hey, sweetie, tell me about your dream. What, what happened? What were you dreaming? And they'll explain it to me. And then the way I've approached it is that I'll explain to them that it's not real, right? That they'll say, well, you know, there's no monsters. That's not real. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, turns out that's not that effective uh, to a young child. What is effective, though, is if I pick them up and squeeze them really tight, and I say, Daddy's here. I've got you. I'm not going to let anything bad happen to you. It's going to be okay. And they start to relax. And they go back to bed. They want me to stay in their room until they fall asleep again. Even more comforting than my explanation to them is my presence with them and my promise to protect them. Remember, in the wilderness, there were a lot of practical things that Israel did not have. But God is reminding them here, hey, regardless of how difficult this journey gets, I am for you, and I'm not going to let go of you. I will protect you. So this blessing reminds us that God is for us, but it goes even further. It reminds us that God smiles on us. God smiles on us. Look at verses 25 and 26. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This language here of God making his face to shine upon us, of lifting up his countenance, Upon us, this is the language of intimate, personal, fatherly approval. The Hebrew for both of these, it contains the same root word. It's giving this image of, of God the Father smiling down on his children and giving them his grace and his peace. We've had some big milestones in our family since we've moved to Greenville. One of, uh, one of my kids started riding a bike without training wheels, which was awesome. Uh, The other one started swimming with her head underwater. Uh, One is climbing trees for the first time. Uh, These are all amazing moments as a father. And and when when I watch my kids do this, my face is just beaming. I'm glued to them. And I'll look at my wife, Erin, and I'm like, babe, I can't believe they're doing this. It's like it's the first time a child has ever ridden a bike without training wheels in the history of all children in all the world. You're just totally captured by it. This is how God smiles down on his children. This is him lifting his face, his countenance upon us in his approval, in his pleasure, his delight in us. If you're here considering Christianity for the first time, or maybe you've been away from the church for a time and you're back, I would just ask you, is this how you think about God? Because this is the God of the Bible. This is what it says that he's like. So the Lord is promising his blessing, his keeping us. His smiling upon us, his peace to us. And this is really good news. This is the meaning of this blessing. So the real question is, do you need it? Do you need this blessing? I know you know the right answer is yes, but but do you feel your need for this? Let's talk about the need for the blessing in the wilderness. Look at verse 22 in the text. Whose idea was this blessing? 
Did Israel come begging God to remind them of his character and promises? Uh, did Moses or Aaron come up with this idea? Hey, you should, you should bless your people. Look at verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. This blessing, these historic, famous words of benediction are God's idea. God is not speaking in response to something. He's initiating with this blessing over his people. And in so doing, he's telling us that this is our greatest need, to have these words of his steadfast love, of his commitment, of his affection spoken over us. Whether you feel it or not, whether you've forgotten it or not, God is saying that this is what you need more than anything else. He's saying that we need him. But we're so quick to forget this. We're so easily distracted by what's right in front of us, especially when something promises more immediate relief. I was at the DMV a few weeks ago. Great experience, registering cars, uh, getting a driver's license, making it official, right? And uh, I was going to be prepared this time, and so I scoured the DMV website before going to see all the paperwork I needed, um, like the seven proofs of residence that, that no one can ever find, right? All those things. Go to the DMV, wait in a long line, and sure enough, I get to the front of the line, and, and this very kind lady politely tells me that I do not, in fact, have everything I need to get my license that day, but I needed to go to another place to do something first, and had to get this certain documentation. I was convinced I had all that I needed. I was so sure of it this time when I went to the DMV. But I didn't. And so I walked out empty-handed. Y'all, the inclination of our hearts as human beings is to convince ourselves that we have all that we need apart from the Lord. Well, We might acknowledge it in some sense that, yeah, we need him, but we don't practically live that way. We live as though those pressing needs right in front of us are what we really need. And this is true of humanity. It happened in the garden in Genesis 3. It's what's going to happen to Israel in the wilderness. They're going to say that they need better food, that that's what they really need. That they need better leadership, that that's what they really need. That they need a better route to get to the promised land, that 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 would fix their problems. And we do this all the time, right? What we really need is a little more money in the bank account. What we really need is a better job. What we really need is more time to ourselves during the day. What we really need is a better or different spouse. What we really need is a better teacher in our class at school. Our hearts are constantly compiling this list of what we think we really need in order to be okay. But God is saying here, hey, I'm going to tell you what you need, and I'm going to give you what you need. And our greatest need is him. This blessing, these words of this text, they both tell us what we need and promise to fulfill it. It's fulfilled by the Lord himself. One of my favorite hymns is Come Ye Sinners. And in it, there's this line that says, All the fitness he he requires is to feel your need of him. And this he gives you. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. It's saying that that God doesn't ask us to get our lives together to come to him. Um, God doesn't say try and make it a week or 30 days without committing that one sin and then you can come to me he's saying what we need to come to him is just that our need we need to acknowledge that we have a need of him do you feel your need for the lord 
And have you seen in your own life that all that the world has to offer is just not enough? It hasn't done it for you in the past, and it won't do it for you in the future. We need this blessing in the wilderness of our lives. Finally, who is the one who blesses us while we're in the wilderness? Look back at the text in your bulletin and see how it's laid out there. The Lord blessed you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. There's this intentional repetition three times to underscore and point to the thing we need most that that is the Lord. The Lord is the one who blesses. Verse 22 says this, which we read earlier, that the Lord spoke to Moses, told him to tell Aaron and his sons to go bless the people. But while God is the one who does the blessing, Aaron is the one who actually communicates, who speaks this blessing to Israel. Who was Aaron? Aaron was a priest. If you, if you write down to the side Leviticus 8, you can go back and, and read that later. It describes the ordination of Aaron and his sons as priests. Aaron's job as a priest would have been to be a mediator between the Lord and Israel. Uh, they would offer sacrifices before the Lord to atone for the sins of God's people. They would meet this great need of interceding between God and the people of Israel, without which Israel couldn't approach God. So it's fitting here. It makes sense that Aaron is the one who pronounces this blessing, and and priests who would come after him would continue to do so. This is actually often called Aaron's blessing or the Aaronic blessing. Aaron was the mouthpiece declaring this blessing, reminding them of God's presence among them. And priest after priest after priest after him would continue to do this multiple times a day until one day there would be a priest that would come who would not just proclaim this blessing but would embody and live out this blessing perfectly. If you noticed, our corporate confession of sin this morning came from Hebrews chapter 4. Look at that again. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus was a high priest unlike any priest that came before him. Because he didn't just proclaim the truth of God with his words, but he lived it out perfectly with his life. He was tempted, yet never sinned. He didn't just offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. He was the sacrifice for the people. Jesus, our high priest, is the ultimate fulfillment of this blessing that we're looking at this morning. It is in Christ which we experience this being blessed and kept by God. It is only through the work of Christ that the Father can look down on us with favor. It is in Christ where we see the graciousness of God embodied in a person. And it's in Christ where we experience the peace of God. This promise of peace at the end of this blessing is is a really crucial part. Uh, Commentators agree that this is actually the goal, the ultimate goal of this blessing. And this is not peace like like temporary comfort uh, or lack of war. This is shalom, holistic peace in all things, a mending of all that is broken by sin, restoration in our relationship with the Lord, restoration in our relationship with each other, 
restoration within our whole bodies, physically, in the entire cosmos. This is the shalom that's in view here. And this peace, this is ours in Christ. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, blesses us by giving us his peace, by achieving this peace for us. Do you see how crucial it is to remember this in the midst of the wilderness? Because the temptation is so strong to forget. To forget the Lord and to think that what we really need is something else. But in the midst of our forgetting, this is where God meets us. Uh, By his grace, he, he enters into our lives. He enters into our stories. He reminds us of who he is. He reminds us of what he's doing, and he reminds us where he's going to take us. Uh, The week that Aaron and I spent in Colorado to this day has been one of the greatest weeks of our lives. Beautiful weather, beautiful, uh, breathtaking mountain views, some of the best fly fishing I've ever experienced, good food, good drink with friends. It was truly amazing. And after a week at this cabin, it really put into perspective our harrowing drive up Cottonwood Pass. Now, it it doesn't make those fears and dangers that we experience any less real or seem insignificant. But it certainly puts them into perspective after we found out what was waiting for us on the other side. This reminder that, oh yeah, it was worth it for sure. It was worth the trip up Cottonwood Pass for sure. This benediction, this priestly blessing in our passage, it serves as a signpost for us. As we're in the wilderness, it's this reminder that this journey will be worth it. It's a reminder that while we're in the wilderness, we experience this peace of this blessing in part. But there is, in fact, a day coming when we will experience the peace of this blessing in full. With no more fear and no more danger. But until that day, we remember and we remind each other. That's why this church exists. That's why we gather on Sundays to worship together. That's why we gather in community groups together. That's why we build relationships with one another to remind each other of who God is, what he's doing in our lives, and ultimately where he's going to take us. Let me pray and ask God to remind us of that this morning. And Father, we ask you now, to remind us of who you are. God, you tell us time and time again in Scripture. And almost as quickly as you tell us, we go and forget. God, by your Holy Spirit, would you impress the truth of who you are and what you're doing in our lives? Impress that upon our hearts. Lord, remind us that you are committed to blessing your children, to keeping your children, that your face is shining upon your children. You've been gracious to your children. You've given peace to your children. God, remind us of that this morning and press it deeply upon our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.